Well, my name is Jamie Vernon, and I'm an ex-con. I am uh, that wretch we just sing about. I'm an ex-con just like Pastor Wesley. I'm an ex-con just like the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans. And like all of you, I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. I do the things I don't want to do. I struggle against sin. And just like in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy... He calls himself the chief of sinners. I can identify. For the past couple of weeks, we've studied Romans 6 through 8. And we've seen where Paul compares sin to a prison. A couple of weeks ago, Wesley reminded us what sin was. That it's anything that, that goes against what God wants for us. Literally, it means missing the mark of the will of God. It's what ultimately separates us in our relationship with Him. In fact, Isaiah 5, 59, 2 puts it very succinctly. It says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. And that's what sin does. Our God is so holy, He's so perfect, that He can't stand in the presence of sin. In Romans 12, 9, Paul reminds the church how important it is for us to hate what is evil and to to cling to what is good. And then in another letter to his protege, Timothy, he reminds the young man to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So why is it? That, that Paul, that he compares sin to prison. What are the similarities? Well, I could think of three. I thought of several, but I thought of three immediately that I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great comparison, Paul. You see, prison isolates. Prison, like sin, isolates us from others. Our dishonesty, think about it. Our dishonesty promotes distrust from other people. Our selfishness promotes resentment. Our hate is returned in spades to us, isn't it? You know, even though it can be crowded, prison is a lonely place. And just like the prisoner who's detached from those he loves, just like the prisoner who is separated from the people who know him best and care about him most, sin, especially secret sin, has the ability to do that as well. And then I think about prison being... A place that where you're just in a constant cycle, a constant cycle and trap of sameness, same day, same same food, same people, same cellmates, same clothes every single day. And if you've been trapped in a habitual sin, you know you know what that means, right? That it's you you wake up and you say, I can't believe I'm still here. I can't believe I'm still in this same place with this same struggle. And then I thought about Prison being a place that robs you of your self-worth, that robs you of your self-dignity, and that is what sin does. A prisoner is just a number. He is just an issue for for the warden to deal with, right? And when we sin, it strips us of who God created us to be. It strips us of, of the purpose that He uniquely created you to have. 
So today we're in the third session of this series called Confessions of an Ex-Con. And we are ex-cons because God has set us free. Our chains are gone. We just sang it, right? But the confession of this ex-con writer of the book of Romans we saw two weeks ago is, I still struggle. Although I'm no longer bound, I still struggle with it. Although I have freedom in Christ, I still wrestle against the flesh that I live in. And then last week we talked about the confession of the ex-con being, man, this freedom sure feels good. In other words, like a, pris- a prisoner who's released from a, from a death sentence, we may feel relief and be tempted to abuse our freedom. However, God has made it clear the way that he wants his people to live. His word, his community, and his spirit have been provided to help us live in freedom, in true freedom. Well, today's confession is this. I'm guilty as charged. Prison is what I deserved. When God set me free, it was not because of my good behavior. (laughs) And let me repeat that, okay? When God freed me from prison, it was not because I was such a stellar prisoner, because I was so good and on my best behavior. In fact, Romans 5 clears that up once and for all. It doesn't just say that we made a little slip up or that we made a mistake, but in Romans 5, we're called the enemies of God, the enemies of God. And and, in Romans 6.23, it says we earned a little something with our very first sin. We earned a little thing called death. For the wages of sin is what? Death. That is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This week, I, I read this story about a king who wanted to check on the condition of the prison. And so he took a tour of the prison, and, and as he toured the prison, he, he interviewed uh, several of the inmates as he walked through. And um, actually, they would come up to him because they knew that he had the power to free them. And, and one of them came up and said, oh, king, oh, king, please, please have mercy on me. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Please let me out of this jail. Another one said, the judge had it in for me. Please, please. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Another one just just cried and said, said, I didn't steal. I, I, I just need mercy from you. But then he found another man. Was off in the corner by himself. His head hung low. He didn't look the king in the eye. The king said, what's your story? What's your story? Were you, what did you do? He said, well, I was accused of, of robbery. Well, did you do it? Yes, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what they charged me. So the king turns to the jailer and he says, Jailer, release this man because I don't want this criminal, this wretch in here corrupting all these other innocent people in my jail. <laughs> well, see, we kind of take the opposite, the opposite um, position. We, we think that it's because we were so good, it's because we were so right that God that we had something to do with our own freedom, right? Because we were so good. But it's far from the truth. The wages of sin, the first sin you committed was death. You and I earned eternal death, eternal separation from God. We certainly didn't didn't deserve the freedom that we have received. But we are set free. Romans... 
8.1 says it this way. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law, the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. You've been given a get-out-of-jail-free card. But it wasn't from some lucky roll of the dice that you got it. It's because the creator of your life so desperately loves you and wants to have a relationship with you that although you did the crime, he did the time. I love the way that Max Lucado in his book, In the Grip of Grace, writes it. This, that book is about the book of Romans. He says, think of it this way. Sin puts you in prison. Sin locked you behind the bars of guilt and shame and deception and fear. Sin did nothing but shackle you to the wall of misery. Then Jesus came and paid your bail. He served your time. He satisfied the penalty and set you free. Christ died, and when you cast your lot with him, your old self died too. When Jesus died, you died to sin's claim on your life. You are free. Your freedom is why Jesus was sent to the earth. We can prove it because when he was preaching in the synagogue, he said this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, how does this ex-con, although he is guilty and who knows he deserves to be in prison, to be locked up forever, but he got off scot-free. How does this ex-con live out his freedom? Well, sadly for many of us, even though we're free, we continue to live like we're still in prison. We continue to live like we're defeated. We define who we are by our past, constantly believing and reminding ourselves of who we were, not whose we are. We believe the lies of the past, living under accusation and find ourselves caught in sin, caught in the patterns that we were in before we walked out of the prison. It reminds me, one of my very favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption, just an excellently written movie. And there's a character in there named Brooks, Brooks Hatland, and he is, he's an old guy. He's been in prison most of his life. And on the 49th year of, of his prison sentence, he's done with it. He's, he's finished with his sentence, and so they set him free. He's let go, and they, he walks out of the prison, and he faces this whole new weird world of all these changes. He had only seen a car once in his life before walking out the doors. And he's, he, he, he is just heartbroken about how things have changed and how the world is so fast around him. And, and so he writes a letter to the, to the prisoners, his friends, and he says, you know, some days I just feel like I'd like to, to rob the food way and get put back in, in, in prison where I belong. And then he decides he's too old to do that, and so he hangs himself and ends his life because he doesn't know how to live outside of prison. And I'm sure that it grieves God's heart to see many of his people living their lives as if they were still bound in prison, living in shame, fear, and regret. And the better choice for us is that he's calling us to experience a life of grateful freedom, confidence, 
of grateful obedience. Listen to Romans 6.17. It puts it very, very clearly. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You see, many prisoners, they, they obey the law when they're in prison. Well, mostly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, they're, you've seen the shows. You know, they get away with a lot. But when, when you're in prison, if you're a bank robber, you can't rob a bank, can you? There, there is an adherence to the law, but it's not necessarily out of a love or respect for it. However, a person who lives in grateful freedom has a newfound appreciation for the law. They have a newfound appreciation for what is right. When we accept God's gift of freedom, we learn not only to obey God's law, but we begin to love and respect it because we love and respect Him. Romans 8 calls this kind of living, living in accordance to the Spirit. Let's take a look at that. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is the, this, this mind governed by the Spirit, this is the transformation that Paul talks about later in the 12th chapter of Romans. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. When we truly begin to daily surrender to the Spirit of God, when we, we, we want what He wants to do in us and through us. This is not something, though, that we can do just through sheer real power. This is open heart surgery. This is us daily praying the prayer that, that David prayed in Psalm 51.10 where he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Daily praying that prayer. Change my heart, O God. Let's take a look at one more passage that describes this life of this ex-con who says, Yes, I am guilty, but I'm not found guilty. That is a person who decides to live in grateful obedience and grateful confidence and grateful freedom. It's found in Romans 7, 4, and it says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who raised from the dead, in order that we might do what? Bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we, bought, we bore fruit the fruit of death. But now by dying to what was once bound to that what what's bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the way of the old written code. So how is it possible for us to live in this new way of the Spirit? What what prevents us from slipping back on that orange jumpsuit? <laughs> And living like a prisoner. I believe the answer lies in, in five key questions that, that Paul asks at the end of, of chapter 8. 
He asks five key questions that I think are, are connected to us being able to live in this confident freedom. The answers to them help us to be able to live out this obedience that he is calling us to. I want us to let, take a look at these, these um, five questions that are found in Romans eight thirty one through 39. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Paul asks in verse 31 this first key question. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if the question were simply, who can be against us? <laughs> We'd have our list, wouldn't we? We would say, well, sickness, corruption, racism, exhaustion. We might say crime, pollution, traffic, in-laws. <laughs> we could go on and on, but that's not what he asked, is it? I want us to read out loud very, very, four very important words that are part of that question. Can we read them out loud right now? These four words. God is for us. That wasn't loud. Say it again. God is for us. That's exactly right. God is for us. Now we're going to read them again four more times. But each time I want us to emphasize a different word in that little phrase. Okay? Are you ready? Read this one. Read, read, um, emphasize whatever is capitalized in the sentence. All right? You ready? Read this. God is for us. That is right. We're go- we we are, are not favored just by anyone. It's not just your mom and not just your daddy. But it's God. It's the creator of your soul. It's the creator of the universe. It's the maker of all things. It's the omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Let's read it again. God is for us. It's not he was for us. It's not he will be for us, but he is for us. Right now, in your situation that you're in right now, God is for you. Amen? Read it again. God is for us. He is not against you. He is for you. He wants the best for you. In fact, that same chapter in in, in Romans 8, it says that he is working all things out to your good if you love him. Then let's read it one more time. God is for us. Or we could say God is for me. God is for you. He knows your name. He had every right to abandon you and me in our sin of prison. But instead, he freed us and is pursuing us every day. He loves you. He is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is trying to convince you and me. He wants us to believe it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is for you? That is one of the keys. If you believe that God is for you, you can live a free life. The second key is the, is the next question, then verse 32. Great question Paul asks. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, when it's asked like that, when we put it that way, the things that we worry about seem pretty petty, don't they? Would he set you free just so that you could bind yourself in the chains of worry and stress? Paul asks this 
just the right question to put it into perspective. So are you convinced? Do you believe it? If you believe it and are convinced, you can live a free life. Questions three and four are kind of two questions together. They're connected. They're related. In verses 33 and 34, Paul asked, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I love this little story that Max Lucado wrote in this book that I mentioned earlier. It's it's cheesy. It's one of those um, old pastor illustrations. So I'm kind of showing my age by um, telling one of these stories. I didn't I didn't get it from the Reader's Digest. So, um, <clears throat> but this this is a great story. It's a story about a little boy and he's playing in his, in his grandma's backyard with a with a slingshot and he's just shooting rocks at random stuff. And so he picks up his, his slingshot and a rock and he spies his grandmother's duck. And he just, bing, lets it go and boom, it hits the duck in the head and kills the duck. And he is just horrified about what he has done. But he did it. He, he, he flung the rock and he killed the duck. And, and, and he can't believe what he is seeing with his very own eyes. Well, the unfortunate thing is his sister saw it too. So... Later on that day, they're, they're at lunch, and after lunch, Grandma says to her granddaughter, uh, Granddaughter, I want you to help me with the dishes, help me clean up. And she says, Oh, no, Grandma, my brother will be cleaning the dishes today. <laughs> and then she walks over to her brother and says, Remember the duck. Well, this keeps happening. It happens for two or three or four more days, and, and just over and over again. And, and she keeps getting out of stuff because she says, Remember the duck. And he, he just falls in line and does whatever she says. Well, finally, he is just tired of it. He's sick of remembering the duck, and he's sick of doing her chores. So finally, with tears in his eyes, he comes up to Grandma, and he says, Grandma, I'm so, so sorry, but I killed your duck. She says, Baby, I know. I saw it out the window. And because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you were going to let your sister treat you like a slave. <laughs> Is that what we do? Is that what we do? This little boy's sister's accusations turn him into a slave. And the Bible says that the devil, our enemy, does the very same thing to us. Revelation 12.10 says the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. That's, that's what he's about, is reminding you of these little things that you did. The devil is an expert witness. He has a little notepad, and he likes to scratch down. He likes to watch you and scratch down those little things that you do and say in secret that nobody else but you know. He likes to write down every time that you lie or cheat or steal or hate. He wants to bring it up later as evidence. Here's the deal, folks. You have an in with the judge. If you belong to Christ, God is the judge and he's the one that justifies you. 
In other words, it is his responsibility to hand out the sentence, and he's already handed that out. You've been given a full and irrevocable pardon because someone else who was completely undeserving of the punishment took it for you. He paid the full penalty for your crimes. Not only that, but the same one that took the penalty for you, he's standing in front of the judge. What did the Scripture say? As your advocate, as your lawyer, pleading your case. The devil, the expert witness, he has no case. His case has been lost. It's been thrown out of court. Please tell the devil the next time that he whispers in your ear, remember the dove. Please tell him. Please tell him this, what you know. I love that bumper sticker that says, when the devil reminds me of my past, what? I remind him of his future. If you go back and look at that Revelation 12, 10 verse, you'll see what his future is. Amen? Amen. And then there's one more question that Paul desperately wants the church to believe. He desperately wants you and me to believe because when we believe it, we are free. We can live a free life. And it's the one that we all want to know. Knowing and truly believing the answer to this one makes all the difference in the, as, as to how we live out our freedom. I want to read along with the question that Paul asks. I want to read his answers because they're important. It's a familiar passage, but I want you to try to listen to it as if you're hearing it for the very first time. Romans 8:35, who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to read this part with me out loud, okay? Starting with verse 38, read this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now you read it. You read it. You read, I am convinced, but are you? Again, that's the question. That's the key. Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Have you come to the point in your life, in your faith, where you would be willing to bet your life on that question? Where you'd be able to bet your eternity on that question? Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? We're going to end here. And we're going to approach the, the, the communion table. But as we approach it, I want you to be asking that of yourself. Asking, am I convinced? Do I have faith the faith that says, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for me. I believe completely that he has bailed me out of this prison and that I have freedom. You see, Jesus has unlocked the door and he swung the cell door open. Now, here's the choice you have. Do you sit in that cell? Do you stay in that prison or do you walk out of the prison? That's the choice you have. The the cell door is open. There's no question about that. That's not what we're debating here today. That's not what we're considering here today. Is the cell door open? It's open. 
But He wants you to walk through the door. He wants you to walk through the door. So, that's the question for you today. Now, I want to take it a little further before, before, we, before we sing. Here it is. Not only has Jesus unlocked the cell door, but then he took the keys to his house and he handed them to you. He said, you're my son. You're not just a former enemy of an ex-con, but you're my son. God's saying, you're my son. Come into my house. I'm trusting you with the keys. You don't believe me? Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, prisoners, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are what? We're heirs. We're not prisoners, we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And then in the words of Jesus in John 8, he says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And this is the one we got to remember. So if the son sets you free, if the son takes his keys and unlocks the door and then hands you the keys, then you are free indeed. So in just a moment, after I pray, we're going to walk to four tables that are around our room, just like always. And, the, and just like always, there's bread that represents the body of Christ. There's a cup that represents the blood of Christ. And I want you to take those and be grateful for, for the bailout Be grateful that your penalty has been paid. And then I want you to pick up a key. Pick up your key. Whatever key is yours on that table, you pick yours. And I want you to keep it. And you can put it on a necklace. You can put it on your key ring. You can hang it in your car. But hang it somewhere where you'll see it a lot. Because every time you see that key, I want you to remember your freedom. I want you to remember that you are free in Christ. He has set you free. And you are free indeed. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So that key will remind you and will remind you that you've got the keys to his house you are a son you're not a slave you're not a prisoner you're a son you're a daughter amen let's pray father god our hearts are full our hearts are full with amazing grace it's not just a sweet sound it's a life changer it's a game changer it's what what has bought our freedom We praise you because our chains have gone because you paid for it. You paid the debt that we owed. You you laid out what the debt was clearly, that that the wages of sin was death. And, And yet your son, Jesus Christ, who did not deserve to die, died. And so he swung the cell door open and he's saying, come through, come through, walk through. And when you walk through, live as if you're free. And so today we recommit to living as free, obedient, grateful sons and daughters. We come to the table today remembering your sacrifice, grateful. Change our hearts, O God. Help us to believe it. Help us to be convinced. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.